Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? Well, that's what we're here to find out. This week, we are listening to The Case of Clarence Hogan, an episode of Up for Parole, a series we have not yet visited on this podcast. Up for Parole ran on CBS for a little less than a year in 1950, and episodes were based on true stories of prisoners who were, as the title says, up for parole. Each week, audiences got to hear a different prisoner tell their story and hoped that it would be enough to free them from their sentence. Audiences could make up their own mind, and at the end of each show, they could compare their conclusions with the decision handed down by the parole board. Arnold Pearl and Alan Sloan served as the show's writers. Pearl's previous credits included Bulldog Drummond, Grand Central Station, Inner Sanctum, The Big Story, and much more. Alan Sloan had also written for The Big Story. Two years after Up for Parole, Sloan was blacklisted by CBS, but continued to write under the pseudonym Ellison Carol. The show went without advertisers for its brief duration, sustained by CBS. As with a surprising number of shows, we don't know a lot about Up for Parole. Nonetheless, of the 39 episodes broadcast, 10 remain that we know of, including this one, The Case of Clarence Hogan, first broadcast May 12th, 1950. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. State your name and prison number. Clarence Hogan, prison number SQ-201-37. Your age? 24. Charges on which you were convicted, Hogan? Cattle rustling and being an accessory to a murder. Sentence now being served. You want the uh, original sentence or the one now? Both, if you will. First, I was sentenced 10 to 30 years. The case was appealed and I got 5 to 10 years. That's what I'm serving now. All right, proceed. I served three years and five months so far, and now I'm up for parole. Up for parole. Tonight, another in the exciting crime series based on authentic cases actually heard by the parole boards in our state prisons, reenacted here for the first time. And now, Harry Marble. You are about to sit in judgment on another human being's freedom. To decide whether he shall become your neighbor, your employee, perhaps your friend, or whether he shall remain where you, society, have put him, behind prison bars. For that human being is a social offender, a criminal. Now, up for parole. you are about to hear was taken from the prison records of Clarence Hogan, prison number SQ-201-37, now pleading before the parole board and before you Hogan, for his Hogan, before freedom. you start your story, 
What do they call you? Hogan. Clarence Hogan. Don't they call you Rough-em-up Hogan? That's just ranch talk. That's because I know how to rope and tie and bust broncos. Couldn't be because you know how to rope and tie and bust men, could it? I told you why. Hogan, you hate this board, don't you? You hate this prison. You hate every human being on earth, don't you, Hogan? Except maybe yourself. I thought I was supposed to come before this board to make a statement. This board is interested in that statement, Hogan. What do you want me to say? When I asked you before what you were in prison for, you answered cattle rustling. It's quite an achievement, isn't it? There hasn't been a case of cattle rustling in this state in 20 years. You're proud of your handiwork. Is that what you're trying to tell this board? I had to do it over again. I'd do it. Revenge, is that it? Striking back at the world for what the world did to you? According to you, people are pretty lousy, aren't they, Hogan? You said it, Mr. Chairman. I didn't. But you think it's true. Because of what was done to you in those first 17 years of your life, you think you've got a right to step on people, steal from them, be an accessory to a murder, anything. You don't let a guy alone, do you? Guy's got to turn himself inside out before you let him alone. You were an orphan, Hogan, weren't you? Brought up in the county orphan's home? There wasn't much to eat, was there? And the place that you slept in was cold. Quit it. It's got to be told, okay. I'll tell it my own way. All my life. My whole life. I had a number. I had a number when I was two months old. Now I'm SQ-201-37. Then I was baby boy T-317. Why they had me, my mother and father, I, I don't know, but they did. They left me at the county orphanage when I was two months old. And at the orphanage, you eat what they give you, you sleep in whatever kind of bed they give you, and you wear other kids' clothes. That's all you can remember. Years roll by, and then one day you wake up and you're 15. Paid us 10 cents a week, and in 15 years, I'd save enough to buy a second-hand pair of jeans. The only thing worth anything at the orphanage was they had two horses. When I could, I rode. I learned everything there was to learn about horses, and I had that. Then Lynch came that day to pick out a son. Once a month, foster parents came to adopt us. Lynch came that month. Mr. Harry B. Lynch. All right, boys. Now line up. No fidgeting. Mr. Lynch has kindly come and is going to adopt one of you. Take you to his fine ranch in the valley. He's going to be a real father to one of you. They came walking down the line of us quiet, frightened kids with their hair combed, sweating, hoping to be picked, hoping we'd get out of the home. Now, there's a fine boy, Mr. Lynch, poor but honest parents who died. Uh, he's a very fine lad. Of course, Mr. Lynch, if you have something in mind... Like a general walking down in front of his troops, or like a horse trainer in front of stallions, looking at the mane, the withers, and at the teeth... 
Who's this? Tell Mr. Lynch your name. Clarence? Your manners, Clarence. Sir? Does he ride? One of my best, Mr. Lynch. What is your way? Clarence? 159, sir. It's pretty big for 17. I'm 18, sir. He's a good, strong boy. Does he steal, drink, run after women? None of our boys are like that, sir. Okay. I found out pretty quick how it all worked. The county paid foster fathers $12 a month to take us off the county rolls. For that $12, we belonged to Harry B. Lynch. There were five of us, and we were his sons, all from the orphanage. The bunkhouse where we slept was the orphanage all over again. Five beds in a room big enough for two. Same smell, the same handouts, the same cast-offs, but with a difference. One of my brothers, a kid named Jerry, let me in on it in the bunkhouse. Did you get the speech yet? What speech? (laughs) Didn't the old man give you the speech when he brought you over? Well, he didn't say a word to me the whole way over. He just sat in the car driving. (laughs) He's saving it. Look, I've been 18 years in that orphanage. This don't bother me. Nothing bothers me. This is good. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. I'm here two years now. I lost 21 pounds. It's your own place. You work, don't you? You got your own time and no bed checking at night. He didn't make the speech to you, all right. Outside, Jerry. Yes, sir, Mr. Clinton. Hogan, I'd like my boys to stand up when I walk into the room. I'm sorry, sir. All right, stand up now. Yes, sir. There's 200 head of cattle on this ranch. And 40 milk cows. There's a lot of land and a lot of fences. And I want them just so. I want everything just so. You'll get up at four and report the milking detail. Then you'll ride the range until seven on fences. Then chow. The morning and afternoons will be watching the herd, helping out with the broncos if you can. You'll learn it. Evening chow is five o'clock. Bed is eight. You didn't say about lunch, Mr. Lynch. My hands work on two meals a day. I'm not getting a million dollars from the county to take care of you. You know that. One more thing. No drinking. No swearing. No gambling. And as you've already heard, I'm sure, from these other no-good loafers around here, you'll address my daughter as ma'am. You'll only answer when spoken to by her. I didn't know you had a daughter, sir. Don't you lie to me. That's all this bunkhouse talks about. Letty. Honestly, I I didn't even know... I said you'll talk to her only when spoken to. If we understand each other, Hogan, there'll be no trouble. Now get out on the ranch. We lost a half hour already. See the foreman. Well, I was stupid, gentlemen of the board. What do you mean, Hogan? You were stupid. Well, that first night after I came back to the bunkhouse tired, Jerry said to me, You're going to stick it out? Ain't you going to run away? (laughs) I laughed at him. He tried to run away. All of them tried to run away. Why did you laugh? Because nothing Lynch said bothered me. The main thing was that I was out of that orphanage. Okay, it was hard work. Okay, you were treated like a dog, but still and all, it it wasn't an orphanage. It was a home. And he was my father. Strict, sure, but I figured maybe he had his reasons. And there was another reason, wasn't there? Why you stayed? That's right. One morning, I was chopping kindling wood for the Brandon fires. 
You handle that like you know what you're doing. An axe splitting the logs is good sound. I've been watching you, Clarence. You're not like the rest of the boys in the bunkhouse. They're okay, Miss Letty. I watched you ride, too. You can ride. What I like to do, I do that the best. You shouldn't be talking to me, should you? Your father told me... I can handle my father. But I wish he'd stop what he does. He treats the boys like dirt, even you. He's got no right to treat people like that. I told him to stop for years, I've been telling him. Then why do you stay? You don't have to stay. Don't get too close, Miss Letty. A chip might hit you. I stayed because he's my father, I guess. Because with everything wrong with him, I want to change him and... He's my father. That's why he, he don't bother me. That's why nothing here really bothers me. Clarence, you know the far ranch out past the wooded section? Sure. Would... Would you meet me there tonight? Oh, you know about bed check. I gotta be in the bunkhouse. He's going to town tonight. I... I'd like it if you would. Over here, Clarence. I shouldn't ought to be here. A night like this? Even out here, you don't see nights like this too often. That's what I was trying to tell you before. The work don't matter. You can ride. You can breathe. You can feel you're somebody, not a number. You're a funny kid. You're a pretty funny kid yourself. What are your plans, Clarence? I don't know. Make something out of things. Get a piece of land and a few head of cattle. Horses. Not a lot, but... <laughs> that sound crazy? No. No, that sounds... Wa- Do you hear that? That's his horse. Get out of here, Clarence. Get on your horse and beat it. I'm not going anywhere. I did it. I'll face it. I won't let you. You thought I was in town. You thought there wouldn't be any bed check. Who was that road off? That was Letty, Mr. Lynch. Oh, it's Letty now, huh? You have the brass to just stand there and say that to me? Don't do that again, Mr. Lynch. Maybe you didn't read the papers on the which you came to this ranch. You're my ward, Hogan. I have the right to discipline you in any way I see fit. And when you break every rule that I lay down, that slap was nothing. You're right. I should have been in bed. That's right. Try that smooth, polished stuff on me. You're different. You fooled her because she's a kid and doesn't know any better. But inside that mind of yours, I know what's going on. You don't fool me for a second. And I'm going to teach you, Hogan, that I mean it. I told you don't do that. I I can't stand that. Nobody likes to be slapped. Nobody! Not even an orphan! For the love of heaven! I could kill you, Mr. Lynch. Easy as that. But I don't want to. 
Up to now, I thought maybe I could get a father out of all this. A home. But I was wrong. Because you were rotten, Mr. Lynch. You made everybody else rotten. So I ain't gonna kill you. Not now or never. Get out of here. I'm gonna get out of here. And I'm coming back after I'm somebody. And I'm gonna take your daughter away. I, uh... If she'll have me. You're so rotten, Mr. Lynch, that if I stayed here with you, I'd get rotten too. And there's no telling what I'd do. So I'm clearing out. But you ain't seen the last of me! We will return to our file in just a moment. But first, today marks the 130th birthday of Florence Nightingale. The American Hospital Association and the United States Public Health Service are observing the anniversary by celebrating National Hospital Day. You're invited to visit your local hospital to see the wonderful work that's being done to help preserve the health of your community. And if you're a young woman who has graduated from high school, stop in at the hospital's nursing office and inquire about the many opportunities that a nursing career can offer you. Back to the true story of Clarence Hogan, prison number SQ-210-37, the man who is up for parole. You see, gentlemen of the board, you may not understand it. I, I wanted to like Mr. Lynch, but he wouldn't give me a chance. Mm-hmm. Those are fine words, Hogan. Only you didn't mean them, did you? Yes, I did, Mr. Chairman. I meant them. Yes, you meant them so much that within the next year you committed the offenses for which you were sentenced. That's how much you wanted to like him or anybody else. I tell you, I wanted to like him. I didn't want to feel that way about people, but it was no good, that's all. Well, Jerry helped me pack my clothes, and then the two of us, Jerry always wanted to go, we moved. We went up north. And that's where I saw the sign that got me started on something else. Something I really liked. Hey, look! Roping, tying, busting Broncos? $500 prize! That was the first of the rodeos I went into, and I'll say this for old Lynch. Whatever else he did, he he made me learn how to ride. Ladies and gentlemen, the main event... The grand prize winner, $500 cash award, the Grass Valley Roundup, Clarence Ruffemup Hogan! We did great. California, Arizona, New Mexico, Wyoming. Riding, tying, busting, roping. I got famous. Kind of. Well known, anyhow. Girls would go after me. But all the time... I kept my mind on, well, Lynch and Letty. Especially Letty. When I went back there, it'd be in a car. A convertible, red, with a horn on it that he'd hear a half a mile away. And I wouldn't be no ranch hand. I'd be somebody. Somebody to make his eyes pop. Here it is, Clarence. Listen to this in the papers. Announcing the annual Ogden Rodeo. Special prize, the Walt Petrie Award for Best All-Round Rider in the Show. Guess how much? Come on, Jerry, how much? $7,500! Let's see if we can get that $7,500. 
So I went to Ogden, Utah, gentlemen of the board. The biggest single rodeo in the West. Everybody was there. And you won it. That's right. I was riding, roping in the rest, not for the money. I wanted that too, sure, but... Because this was the one thing that I was waiting for all my life. A chance to do what I could do the best. And a chance to use it to show Lynch he was wrong about me. And to be able to ask Letty to marry me. But I was a starry-eyed kid. I didn't know what lice people could be. You explain that? I'll be glad to. Well, Petrie was one of those big, nice, smiling guys. Walt Petrie, the fellow who sponsored the $7,500 prize, a promoter. He paid me off in $100 bills. You sure you don't want a guard, cowboy? It's an awful lot of money to be walking around with. Nope. I can take care of myself. Well, best of luck, son. So in Ogden, right there, first thing I did was plunk down $3,000 for a red convertible with a horn you could hear half a mile away. And Jerry and me started. What a day. Roads going as far as you could see and us going 60, 65 to the ranch two miles south of Lynch's. Horn, even when nobody was around, just to hear it. And just like that, a car was parked across the road in front of us. And two guys walked out from behind some trees. All right, fellas, outside. Keep your hands on top of your heads. What's the idea? Not very bright, are you? Where's the money? Come on, hand it over. Hey, what, what is this? Ah, here it is. All right, both of you. Over into those trees. Start walking. What? Ain't you even going to leave us the car? How are we going to get out of here? Ain't got no place to go, so start walking. You dirty lice. Did you see who the other fellow was? No. Who? I saw. The one who didn't talk. That phony handkerchief around his face. I could see him. Who? Walt Petrie. Big promotion man. Biggest prize in the West. $7,500. Give it out at the Rodeo. Get your name in the paper. Then take it away on a road with nobody around. Petrie and Lynch. (laughs) They must be brothers or something. And Hogan, that was the time that you decided to start your revenge, wasn't it? All I wanted was to get my money back and I didn't care how. So you found out that Petrie had a ranch, 3,000 head of cattle. And you got a job on a ranch nearby his. That's right. And if it hadn't have been for what happened, I'd have got it all back, too. Just exactly what did happen? The ranch where we worked was a little place, not too much to do. And there was a van on it, the kind they transport cattle in. And every night, me and Jerry, every night around 9, 10, we'd go out where Petrie's herd was, back up the van, and chew two, three cows in it. Two or three of Mr. Petrie's best white face cows. They were bringing 600 a head. I figured to take 13 head, just what he stole from me. We got about eight head. And then one night... Okay, okay there, girlie. Come on. Right up the gangplank. Let's go. Clarence. Stay right where you are, both of you. (laughs) 
Well, 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 in this day and age, cattle rustling, huh? I don't think taking back what belongs to me is cattle rustling, Petrie. I heard your story, Hogan. Tough, how after you won the prize, somebody stuck you up, took it away from you. I'll show you. Jerry, I got the gun. You shot him. I don't think he's dead. And I'm going to kill him. I didn't even try to get away, and I didn't let Jerry run. What was the point? A couple of Petrie's men were nearby, and they saw it anyhow. So we walked in and gave ourselves up to the sheriff. And the trial resulted in your conviction for rustling being an accessory to the murder. Well, Jerry took a plea of guilty to manslaughter, and I was sentenced along with him. What put the finishing touches to it was Lynch. I didn't know Lynch was at the trial. It's not on the record. He was at the trial, all right. All I had to go on at the trial was my word that Petrie had stolen the money from me and he'd attacked us with a gun. Well, Lynch fixed it good. He testified all along I was a troublemaker. I was no good. I'd been after his daughter. I'd nearly killed him and... Well, the judge gave me 10 to 30 years. You're a pretty bitter man, Hogan. What did you expect? Shall I be frank with you? I expected a lot more. You told this board when you first came before it that you want nothing from anybody, that you make your own way in the world, that people are rotten and selfish. All of them. All except Letty. Yet all along you've met other kinds of people. There was Jerry, and there was the judge in your case. You yourself said it. When the appeal was made on your sentence, he reduced it from 10 to 30 years to 5 to 10 years. And yet you persist in your attitude condemning everyone. I said before, maybe I was stupid, maybe I still am. But I don't want anything from anybody. I want to do my time. I've done a good job in this prison. I know what the warden's told me so. And I want to get out. I'll write again. I'll do whatever I have to do, win prizes again, maybe. And I'm going to go back to Lynch's farm, walk in, take Letty, and walk out. There's nothing you can say or anybody else in the world that's going to change my mind. And do you think that with a statement like that, this board should grant you parole? Mr. Chairman, I don't want anything from anybody. All right, Hogan. We'll decide your case now. Step outside with the guard. While Clarence Hogan waits and the parole board reviews his story... You, too, have a decision to make. In a moment, you can compare your decision with that of the actual parole board before which he appeared. Triangle Stories. You've found them by the dozens in the movies and in fiction. But tomorrow night, gangbusters will bring you a triangle story that's a hair-raiser. It involves a manhunt across several southern states and ends up in Sunday school in the dead of night. The drama will be narrated by Tennessee's Commissioner of Safety and is called The Case of the Vicious Triangle. Be listening when Gangbusters brings you this exciting tale this Saturday on most of these same CBS stations. Now the decision of the parole board in the case of Clarence Hogan, prison number SQ-201-37. Clarence Hogan, you said before that you don't want anything from anybody. 
That correctly states your attitude. That's right, sir. This is an attitude, Hogan, common not only among inmates of prisons throughout the United States, but among many people who have never been arrested, never even tangled with the law. It's the attitude of dog eat dog. The devil take the hindmost. Let me try to tell you something, Hogan. Let me try to tell you how I, well, how this board feels. You know, you said something that moved me personally a great deal, Hogan. You said, I had a number all my life. Let's look at that life for a moment, shall we? The orphanage where you were raised lacked funds, lacked proper officials, lacked facilities, as so many of our orphanages still do. And here again, what basis was there for you to learn that the give and take among humans is what distinguishes this society from animals? Lynch, a cruel, selfish, unenlightened man. Petrie, a man who lived the jungle code and died by that same code. These were the influences that shaped you. This was our contribution to the making of Clarence Hogan. For the way we see it, it isn't you alone who were indicted and convicted and sentenced, but us too, the people who made you as you are today. And what are you, Hogan? Do you know? Uh, what do you mean? You're a man with enormous ability with enormous drives which are worthy, and they're decent. You know, it goes to show you how much a human being can take and still not be thoroughly corrupted. Of course, what you did was wrong, the rustling, your, your part in the shooting of Petrie, but, it, but you know, it, it hasn't made you rotten. And what saved you all along was the fact that you, you met decency now and then, from Jerry and from Letty... And I certainly hope that you can add to that small list of decent people in your life this board. I'd, I'd like to believe what, what you just said. You can, Hogan. Because speaking for this board, I can now say to you, parole granted. Next case. Today, Clarence Hogan is married to Letty Lynch, and he is now the foreman of a successful ranch in one of our western states. Yes, it's a fact that through the wisdom and understanding of the parole board, Clarence Hogan has been able to uproot the bitterness that had slowly become a part of him, and because he was given a second chance, like many thousands upon thousands of ex-convicts, he was able to adjust himself and become a useful, responsible citizen again. This story was presented in the interests of the men and women in our American prisons who someday may be up for parole. You have been listening to Up for Parole with Cliff Carpenter as Clarence Hogan, written by Arnold Pearl, produced and directed by Mitchell Grayson. Research by Wally Gould. Music was under the direction of Harry Salter. Listen again at this same time next week when CBS will bring you the actual story of case number 247-350. Up for parole. This is CBS where you find adventure and glamour with Broadway is my beat every Friday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
up for parole and the case of Clarence Hogan here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. Where the hell did this come from? I have no idea what this is until this was sent to me by you, Tim. Never even heard of it. Uh, So the story behind how this got to be in our ears... As our listeners might know, I've been trying to make sure that when you go to our website and you click on the thing that pops down and says, what letter would you like to choose so that you can see what all series we have listened to that start with that letter? Right. As of before this, we had 25 letters. Now we have a show that starts with U. Nice. (laughs) So I've been scrounging around trying to find what shows start with the letter U. There are some really interesting ones that are 15 minutes long that we might revisit some later point when we do some looser structure that allows for 15 minutes. Uh, but otherwise, it was kind of between this and Unit 99. Well, you just caught me again. I've never even heard of Unit 99. Uh, as far as I know, it is True Tales of Sacramento Police. Wow. Which I thought, hey, Where did, if I want to listen to uh, Dragnet, I'll listen to Dragnet. Right. Good point. <laughs> How did you even find this, though? Like, just typing in... Shows that start with you? Like, how do you even... It's like trying to find lists of, like, what are all the radio shows? Okay. Yeah, Old Time Radio Researchers Library has a great right. um, alphabetical listing of old time radio shows. I thought this was going to be also sort of a, a similar True Tales of Police kind of mm-hmm. story. I wasn't that excited about it. And then I started listening to them and thought, this is very different than I thought it was going to be. I was really disappointed that it wasn't actually listener votes. <laughs> we could decide <laughs> that there was an audience there. And well, give them 10 more years. <laughs> take away a finger. Turn it to the take away uh, a finger. <laughs> it's not yeah. one of the options, sir. <laughs> what kind finger. of parole board is this? <laughs> yeah, from the description of it, my immediate reaction was, yeah, this is going to suck. This is not great. This is not a... I'm not sure this is going to work. <laughs> Do you wow. approach each radio show like yeah. you're about to enter a relationship? <laughs> like, I am a normal... <laughs> I'm not sure if this is going to work out. You know, I've really given it my best, but... <laughs> I am a Norwegian Lutheran. That's how I approach everything. Because the way of the... Uh, how does the Mandalorian say? This is the way. For the Norwegian Lutherans... This the, is the way. This is, this is, this is, this is just a way. Uh, the idea is, you know, it's the uh, the old saying, eat a bullfrog first thing in the morning, nothing worse can happen to you the rest of the day. If you expect the worst... It's not a saying. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's I, an act of masochism. I, if you expect the worst, then it's nothing but joy. <laughs> yep, I, I agree with you there. So getting it out at the top... Uh, when it was all said and done, I really enjoyed that a lot. Everything about it. I had a really great time. Even that break where I participated. I usually don't. Like, oh, whatever, just get done with it. I participated. went, hmm, what would I do? And I went through the whole thing, and I came up with my choice yeah. of paroling him or not. I thought it was great. I was surprised. I mean, the structure is kind of what's on the tin, but it's really effective. Right. I have to agree. I had low expectations going into it. I thought it would be a little cheesier and more manipulative Mm -hmm. than it turned out being. It sounded a lot like Dragnet to me. I think this was very much made with Dragnet in mind Mm -hmm. and felt to me a little like a Dragnet antidote, like the flip side of the 
very strict law and order Mm -hmm. notions put forth by Dragnet. And maybe other episodes are much harder than this, but Mm -hmm. the episode you chose, Tim, I thought was really interesting for that forgiveness and that societal culpability uh, that is preached at the end. Yeah, I think that there was a lot of layers to this that were really cool. It's easy to judge people at first until the, you hear their whole story, because that's how this starts. The guy says stuff at the top, and your first reaction, at least mine, was, yeah, no, I wouldn't parole him. He, no, he, yeah. sounds, he sounds like a jerk. And he he sounds says, like, don't help me out any. Yeah, like, okay, we won't. Not only that, I think everybody <laughs> sucks, and I hate everybody, and, and I don't regret what I did. So they set us up really well to be like, yeah, I'll take it a step guy. further. Not only that, then I think his name is Wendell Holmes is the name of the actor who played the parole board guy who I love. He's in mm-hmm. basically every episode of X minus one practically in the 1950s. I just love that voice because he can be very kind in a paternal way and very hard in a paternal way. And he uses both those strengths in here. But to your point about like, ah, I don't need help from anybody. And it kind of sours you on him at the top. Mm-hmm. He comes in at the end and basically convicts everybody like yeah guess what i know so many people with that exact same attitude who've never been anywhere near a A prison prison or committed any crime and we're judging you for having that attitude simply because you got caught he doesn't say that but he lets the listener know that you wouldn't feel this way if you were just talking to some go-getter in a business suit he turns that idea of i don't need anybody i'll take care of myself into a virtue this is a positive way to live. You should be. Yeah, or at the, at the very least, that's not a, a fault. Right. Or it doesn't have to be. He does admit that in his case, he let that become a fault. Sure. And he's not recognizing who helped him along the way. But I just think it's well written to yes. sort of make you as the listener think about what your preconceived notions that's were exactly throughout right. the entire drama. And that was more sophisticated than I expected expected from up for parole yeah you decide 19 their freedom is in your your hands yeah it stands the test of time because we're still fighting that concept of getting snippets of people and making judgments of them and who they are and until we find out exactly how they live exactly what their predicaments are what their experiences are then you can start to have empathy right and then you can say oh okay it's just really fascinating. We also start to that interesting detail of what's your sentence? Like, well, the first sentence I got right. was this much, and then I got another sentence was much reduced. Mm-hmm. And it takes a long time to find your, oh, how did that happen? What was that right. about? I, I've listened to one other episode of this series. Uh, same structure, but very different sort of person talking, very different sort of story. I'd be very curious to hear more. I don't know if it always comes back paroled or not. It, it would seem like the, the show would be dumb if it was predictable. Yeah, I, I would assume they're always But I us. jumped on this one just because the description said cattle rustling. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I love the the story acknowledges that it's been twenty years since anyone has arrested for cattle wrestling. So it makes for a nice hook because even if you weren't really that concerned about the uh, human drama here, you're like, I want to find out how this guy ended up cattle wrestling in nineteen fifty. Are you saying wrestling? Cattle wrestling? Rustling. Okay, good. Because it's sounding... No, like... people still wrestle cattle all sure. the time. That's pretty illegal. Yeah. That's a whole thing yeah, I want to check half out. half of YouTube is just people <laughs> <laughs> wrestling cattle, right? <laughs> I don't know. I want that podcast. <laughs> I'm going to be honest here and vulnerable and say, I found that last speech of his really moving. Mm-hmm. And, I did too. I did too. And it might be, as Eric alluded to, a little the moment we live in where 
we are all judgment, no forgiveness. Yep. <laughs> Culturally, we're at a height of that. Yeah. And what particularly almost brought a tear to my eye was that moment is expertly delivered is, you know what you are? You're a man with enormous ability. And oh, just yeah. that idea. Like I, no one has ever said that to yeah. me. And at that, yeah, at that moment, you felt that. I mean, like, no one ever says that to us, right? We're all, (laughs) yes. Right, yeah. But that wouldn't have the power it had if we hadn't been through this guy's whole dramatic life. Mm -hmm. Going and shooting that guy's cattle, a cruel, probably. He shot him. Yeah, he shot cows. I thought he was loading them into trucks and stealing them. no. That was the whole thing, is that he figured the amount of money he lost, the $7,500 he lost, was equivalent to 13 cattle. So he was going every night and getting about three a night, and then they got up to eight before they got caught. And loading them into a van and driving. There were gunshots. No, they were. for sure was shooting. Hopefully Eric and I didn't hear this wrong. They were shooting cattle dead, and that's why they got caught, because they were out now looking for who was shooting their three cattle a night. I would swear he was stealing cattle, selling them for 600 bucks a pop. Where was the gunshot sound? I thought it was just pure revenge, just taking money out of his pocket. Maybe so. We don't know who's wrong. but No, I know who's right. (laughs) But I do know this. It's not pronounced Rodeo. Okay. (laughs) You open the door. Here we go. You ready? So, Rodeo comes up. And I'm going, oh, they're saying Rodeo. That's so weird. It's Rodeo. Wait a minute. Why are they pronouncing it? Hang with me well, on this. It's closer Cop- to the original Spanish. Well, I'm wondering this. Why are they pronouncing it like Copeland's masterpiece uh, classical? Copeland's Rodeo, right? Mm-hmm. And I always thought Copeland's Rodeo was pronounced that way because it was some word, Rodeo. It meant something. I didn't know what it was. So I get online and I go, wait a minute here. Is Copeland's Rodeo about a rodeo? I know, right? I've listened to it a million times and now I'm just fine. Oh, yeah, it's about a rodeo. I never knew that. I thought rodeo meant something. Gets worse. Now, I find out that rodeo was actually originally a ballet called... About rodeos? <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Called The Courting at Burnt Ranch. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that either. I didn't know it was a ballet. And then they released the music to it, which got more popular than the actual ballet that didn't go anywhere, The Courting at Burnt Ranch. But it has a scene in there, okay, in the courting at Burt Ranch, where the cowgirl finds herself between the champion roper and the wrangler who are attracted to the rancher's daughter. Huh? Huh? We're getting full circle. I believe that Copeland's Rodeo was actually based on the story of this guy from this... <laughs> Clarence Hogan? Yeah, Clarence Hogan. <sighs> and then I got back into listening to it after I went down that rabbit hole. Now is- I listen to the music and I go, I'm an idiot. Of course it's about a rodeo. But that was a accepted pronunciation of rodeo. And some I just found southern out. rodeos still call themselves... R- rodeos? Yep. Okay, so I didn't know. Imagine how many times I've listened to Copeland's Rodeo thinking, oh, it's some kind of fancy word for... And I... Like, I love it. Mm-hmm. But it's just a rodeo. Now you're just... Now I'm not... So I could dis- be more respectful to say rodeo clown. <laughs> <laughs> but now when I, I feel like an idiot. I'm missing the gunshots. I'm missing how to pronounce Rodeo. Now I'm paranoid that we're utterly wrong because yours makes way more sense. 
No, but I, I swear I went back and listened. I'm like, I is swear he shooting cattle? He's shooting cattle. <sighs> okay, you can choose whether to edit this out or not, but I have a cattle shooting story. Billy Martin, the manager of the Yankees, and a couple of other uh, ball players whose names I can't remember in the story, went to a farmer's land to ask if they could uh, hunt on his land. And they got out of the car, and Billy Martin walked up to the house store. They other guys, I think Boog Powell was the other one. They stayed in. I think he's just making up no. his name. <laughs> they mean nothing to me. It's funnier because Billy Martin's a crazy angry man, right? <laughs> he got thrown out of games. He was really angry all the time. He gets out of the car, walks up to the farmers. They're in the car watching, right? The farmer says to Billy Martin, yes, you can hunt in my land, but I have a lame cow. Could you please do me a favor and shoot the cow for me? I can't bear to do it. Billy Martin says, sure. Walking back to the car, stops, shoots the cow. These guys are in the car. (laughs) Shoots the cow and then decides to have fun, runs to the car, jumps and goes, go, go, go. That SOB said no. And and they they believe him because that's something he would do. (laughs) All right. You can edit that out. No, that's a great anecdote. Thanks. I love that story. I am impressed that you had a cow shooting shooting anecdote. Yeah. Who doesn't? Um, (laughs) All right. Well, um, what other thoughts do we have on this? I thought it was great. (laughs) I I totally thought this was just checking the box of now I have a show that starts with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really am interested to listen to more of the series. Well, at least nine more. I was surprised at how complex a portrayal this was of this guy's life honestly because it started at the orphanage and as much as I was enjoying the performances I went oh here we go it's going to be an over the top Mm -hmm. sort of sob story not to say that growing up in orphanage isn't difficult we just lost all our orphan listeners (laughs) (laughs) but you know what I mean I thought it was going to be a saccharine story yes Um, but as it develops it gets more and more i think psychologically complex and real for example when he gets there and he's basically bought he's purchased to work on this ranch and the other kids hate it but he's just happy to have a purpose yeah and even when the rancher's daughter is like i don't like the way my father treats people he even admits well yeah, he's strict, but maybe he has a reason for it. Right. He, he's my father. He has no idea what a father is. This is what fathers do. Yeah, you just I get work to go for them. outside. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I get to go outside, and uh, the emotional attachment he developed at the orphanage with horses connects mm-hmm. to it. It was not what I expected, and maybe I am so impressed because my expectations were really low. Welcome to being a Norwegian Lutheran. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're always good. Everything's all right. I expected me to spontaneously combust this morning. If you start off every morning thinking at some point I'm going to spontaneously combust today, then every day is great. I don't this know. This frog is delicious. This frog is delicious. Uh, let me ask the question. Did you play along and what did you vote? I played along and I absolutely voted that I would parole him based on that he understood what was wrong and serving his penalty for it, and he was agreeing to that, and I didn't find him to be a threat to society and someone that is paid. So I voted before the break 
to parole him. So I was really happy for the ending. Did you play along? I was not playing of what I parole him. I was trying to think, would they parole him? And I thought they weren't going to. Oh. That was me too. I got sucked into trying to predict oh. them. And I was with Tim. Because I thought they ended on such a belligerent note. And again, I'm thinking Dragnet. Right. Mm-hmm. Joe Friday would have hauled his ass to jail, and the, that the, would be that. The reason I didn't do it that way, trying to predict the radio show and playing along, is because at the top, they actually say, I'm going to paraphrase it, but they say, so you get to decide, would you want this guy living next to you? Yeah. They say that, and mm-hmm. I went, all right, I'm in. I will tell you if I want this guy. And when it was done, I went, yeah, it sounds like a guy that uh, I would be able to have live next to me. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, maybe I didn't think about it because I think they did a complex enough job that it wasn't an easy decision. I, I want him living next to me because of what he was saying. So I know he's not going to come over and borrow my lawnmower. Yeah. Like I didn't need anything. <laughs> he's going to be quiet and that'll be great. He won't borrow anything. When I was doing some background on this uh, for the opening, uh, this particular episode was written by Arnold Pearl, but Alan Sloan, who two years later would be blacklisted, he had a, a history of writing episodes that had sort of uh, support of people who are underserved by institutions. So it makes me wonder if Sloan in particular gave this series a color of, like, let us hear the story of people Mm -hmm. and give them a fair shake. I mean, and it worked. I was moved, as I've already mentioned, by the uh, parole officer's speech. So it was incredibly effective. Should we vote? Sure. I absolutely... 100% 100% say it stands the test of time and is historically significant, uh, for sure. Uh, it can't be a classic. Their hoofbeats were a little uh, little disappointing. Yes. <laughs> but what a great discovery. What a fun thing to listen to. And I thought that all of it absolutely stands the test of time and was interesting to listen to with today's ears. Like, oh, we've... We've learned nothing. <laughs> we're still the same type, which, by the way, we're never going to change. Humans are humans, have been, and for always. Everybody got that? All right, moving on. Tim? Yeah, uh, it's very <laughs> Norwegian. <laughs> this rock is delicious. <laughs> um, I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, this was a delightful surprise. I'm so happy to now have all 26 letters represented. Mm-hmm. And... It is a really fascinating structure of a way to present a character than a combination of confessional or just addressing an authority figure and acting out the scenes of your life. Mm-hmm. It all comes together for a really fascinating, entertaining sort of show. Tim, you have enormous ability. You <laughs> Go you back man. to jail. <laughs> You completed the whole alphabet. <laughs> I think. That's enormous ability right there. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I, I wouldn't call it a classic, but it was really good. It stands the test of time. It How many years old oh, is Lord. this? this 72. Is, yeah, 72 years old. And it moved me. That note of grace at the end is, in all honesty, something we could all use to hear. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And learn from. So, yeah, great job with the alphabet, Tim. <laughs> Thank you. You and your uh, potential, tell them stuff. <laughs> hey, please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. Here are some of the things you'll find there. Other episodes of this podcast, every letter of the alphabet has a series attached to it. I'm so excited. I'm so pleased. But now we need more letters in our alphabets for me to pursue. <laughs> 
Um, you can also leave comments. Let us know what you think about these episodes. Vote in polls. You can link to uh, our Threadless store. Buy some swag. Everybody likes swag. Mm. Uh, and uh, <laughs> link to our Patreon page. Yes, go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. As you can hear from Tim, we're <laughs> we need some help. <laughs> so yeah, please support us. We have so many great things. We have so we much potential. So much potential. <laughs> if we could just get enough money together, uh, we have please. an enormous stop shooting cows. Yeah, enormous ability. <laughs> How about next we find a show with an N with a tilde over the top? <laughs> Hey, if you'd like to see us perform live, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society Theater Company performs recreations of classic old-time radio shows and a lot of our own original work as we do audio theater live on stage monthly. And you can find out where we're performing this month, unless this is 80 years from now and you're listening to this in some archive. So uh, check us out by going to ghoulishdelights.com or mysteriousoldradiolisteningsociety.com. See where we're performing and come see us live or buy a ticket and watch us online and see what shows we're doing this month. All right, what are we doing next? Next, we will be listening to Kaleidoscope from one of four series. I haven't decided yet. It is sort of the (laughs) sci-fi version of The Signalman. So maybe Kaleidoscope from Dimension X or Suspense or Bradbury 13 or... A little bit of all of them. All of them (laughs) melded together. So, uh... Tune in and find out which one I choose. Until then... Just exactly what did happen? The ranch where we worked was a little place, not too much to do. And there was a van on it, the kind they transport cattle in. And every night, me and Jerry, every night around 9, 10, we'd go out where Petrie's herd was, back up the van, and shoo two, three cows in it. Shoo the cattle. Not shoot them. Shoo the cattle. As in, shoo them into the van. I'm, I'm an, an idiot. idiot. Clarence! Stay right where you are, both of you. <laughs>